All right, let's pray. Here we go, here we go. Four Sundays after Easter, cantate the singing church. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. You remember that um, in the days after Easter, and this is not, you know, 2,000 years ago, although it was 2,000 years ago, but even this is the one-year lectionary, you know, 50 years ago. Uh, Lutherans did what the church had always done. Uh, and I'm not saying that in criticism of the three-year lectionary. I like the three-year lectionary. It's great. But Christians did what they always did, which was remind Christians um, what church was all about. So, you know, last week was Jubilate, the rejoicing church, and th- this week is Cantate, the singing church. Next week is Rogate, the praying church. These Latin names for the elements of the Christian life. So, you know, it's just what Christians do, and, uh, you know, it's good for you, too. And, and uh, the church recognized that. And they also recognized that you needed a reminder. It, it redefines you once a year. Somebody should tell you, you're singers, you're prayers, you're joyful. So, uh, cantate, the singing church, sing to the Lord a new song. For he's done marvelous things. Psalm 98.1. Let's pray. O God, our Heavenly Father, who through thy Son has promised us thy Holy Spirit, send down upon us that same Spirit, that he may teach us to show forth thy praise, not only here on earth in weakness, since we know thy power and glory only from afar, but also in power and glory on that day when, united with the choir of angels, we shall see thee face to face through Jesus Christ, thy Son, our Lord. Amen. Okay, scads of things to talk about, ask about. Um, You're supposed to sign in, but I can never remember to bring that. I think you only bring it like once a year. And that really messes up the computer system. So if anybody gives you anything to sign up with, go ahead and sign up with it. Uh, next thing is, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, next thing is, is, you know, we take our offering in all the Bible studies, and we split this one between Westfield House and Ghana. We may shade it to Ghana a bit, because uh, this is actually quite nice. Uh, we have two of our members who are going to Ghana to help conduct studies for women there. This is a great, great thing. Um, as you, as you probably know, Africa in general is a very patriarchal place. The church in Africa uh, still remains a very patriarchal thing. There was a request by Pastor Finn, I think five years ago already, could you please send some women to teach and mentor our women? Gladly, uh, the Northern Illinois District said. And then I think our LWML ladies are engaged with this. In any case, there are a dozen people going from the district, and two of them are from St. John, Catherine Williamson-Link and Rebecca Litvin. They're going midsummer. Um, you don't have to worry about it being too hot because Finn once told me it's always 81 degrees. So, you know, it'll be fine. They're right on the equator, constant temperature. However, um, you know, it's going to be expensive to send them. I always feel bad uh, when people are willing to give up their vacation and, and, uh, and offer their talents that they also then are also has to foot the bill by themselves. So um, I, what I would like to do is redirect a few of these offerings toward those two to just kind of help them defray the expenses. Uh, going to Russia or going to Africa or going to Madagascar is always more expensive than you think it's going to be. Uh, you, know, you, you know, you can get $500 just in the shots you have to get to keep from being sick. You know, there's airfares, and it's not always the most direct thing, and there's always contingencies. So, you know, for a couple of weeks, I'll send this around. Um, who's ever counting it, I don't know who's signing up, and frankly, I don't know who counts that. But whoever counts that, whoever ends up with that, uh, kind of make sure that somebody lets me know so it goes toward uh, the Ghana thing, please. You know, don't feel pressed. We'll do it a couple times. You don't have to feel pressed by it. 
or anything today. Any questions about that? One of the things we don't do well, and I just, you know, it just doesn't come naturally me, to me to sort of blow our own horn. It's probably a great failure in how, uh, you know, I try to help manage this place. We really, it's frankly a very spectacular thing that we have two people in this congregation who are off to Ghana, and even more spectacular is that our two people, I mean, this is a good thing about our church, are charged with putting the teaching curriculum together. So there'll be people who will do other things. There'll be people who will, you know, make sure that the venues work out. There'll be people that make sure the schedules work out. There'll be people that make sure the travel works out. But our two people, you know, get charged with what gets taught to those people who will then go teach other women. The point is that we send some women to train women to train women. So, I mean, so this very direct key of what St. John teaches, you know, suddenly gets spread into the bush in Africa. That is brilliant stuff. Uh, it couldn't have been better, the two people that are chosen for that, and it couldn't have been better that, you know, we get a chance to do this. We, um, we don't do enough, a, a good enough job of singing people's praises when they do a very good job. I'm very grateful to those two women, uh, Catherine and Rebecca, for doing this. Uh, you know, it's the sort of thing that happens around here all the time, and we just should be better at saying it. So, Begin to pray for them. We need to remember them. We'll send them on their way with prayers when they go. We'll support them along the way. And then, you know, we'll just kind of see what happens. But, you know, Finn's a solid citizen, and you guys have always helped. You know, long before me, you know, 40 years you've been helping that congregation. It's just one more thing that works out really well, so thanks for doing that. Uh, second, don't you like it that the young guys have a sense of humor? Did you get your bulletin this morning? I mean, you can't make this stuff up. You watch Dirty Jobs, right? Yeah, so on dirty jobs, they're looking to fill out their Illinois schedule, right? Because they, they need to get in every state of the union. So here's our application for dirty jobs. Did you see this? Yeah, we're hoping they'll come. Yeah, how about being a pastor for a day? Isn't this great? You can go on the website. At least you could go on the website and see this. On the PBS website, there's the application from St. John. I mean, there are probably guys who could be defrocked over this. Uh, <laughs> But as I was just saying, it's under the offering, as I was just saying, if it goes well, I'll be happy to take the credit. Yes. I mean, this is just great. At first glance, this may not be as dirty in the same way as you've come to know it. This is page 10 of the one I picked up. But I can promise you that this job is dirtier than you think. People who are sick, people who are lonely, unloved, people who love you, people who hate you, people with big sins and small sins, that's a dirty job. St. John Luther Church in Wheaton, Illinois, would love to host you as you investigate the dirty job of being a pastor. Isn't that great? Yeah, I mean, we should be getting a letter from the president of the district and the senate. I would think probably any minute now. Because, uh, you know, they were just thought, you know, it was, hard to, it, was hard to, it was hard to describe the excitement in Gainig's voice when he saw that there were, he called me to say there were still openings in Illinois. And what did he think if we posted this, what would happen to us? So I guess we'll find out. Hmm. Uh, well, you should watch Dirty Jobs and then you'll, you know, our chances of being chosen are probably, you know, small, but you never know. <laughs> You're telling me there's a chance. Okay, that's good. Then also, uh, you know, we rarely, maybe this is a mistake too, we rarely say to you, hey, do you want to buy something for the church? And, you know, we rarely say that because, just because it takes your focus sometimes off your normal giving. In fact, and I'll say that again, Easter was early this year, you know, tend your giving. This is a very interesting trend across America. People aren't kind of coming to church this year and aren't giving this year. It's very interesting. What does it have to do with an early Easter, uh, with uh, the recession? 
with, what's it have to do with? Why is that true? Even I looked across to the uh, Bible church this morning. Normally when we look out before 9 o'clock, that parking lot is jammed. There was nobody in that parking lot. It was, it was remarkable. I mean, it's not a bang on them. It's just an observation that kind of all around, somehow people are going without Jesus. It is a very strange phenomenon in America right now. So um, why is that? I just don't know. You need to tend your own giving and your own uh, church attendance and all the other things that go, go with that. Um, one of the things we, you know, we were going to buy hymnals when we got next door. They raised the price about 25%. We're going to buy them now. This, I think, would be, the reason I mentioned this, I know Pastor Gainig mentioned it um, at the beginning of the service, but if you want to give hymnals in honor of somebody, in gratitude for somebody, in memory of somebody, uh, they're eighteen fifty apiece. Put a check in the yellow envelope. We're just going to do this for a couple of weeks. Uh, we'll put a book plate in the front. You need to tell us. Well, you know, we'll get it right. We'll figure out exactly what you want to say. <laughs> Many congregations do this. Um, it's kind of like the flowers. I always wonder each year, should we say, do you want to put Easter lilies in? And then I'm always stunned. We always have way more people that want to do that than we. We always have more money. We always have more flowers bought than we can possibly put up there. So um, maybe you want to do that for hymnals too. Uh, we shall see. You know, someday in the new place, you know, there might be some opportunity above and beyond your normal tithing and your normal capital campaign gift. There may be some opportunity beyond that. Uh, we're still trying to sort that out in the way of humility uh, and how that, but, but see this, this, this counterbalancing of humility and joy. Uh, you know, you just have to be careful, but here's the thing. So often Lutherans are overly careful. So we'll just have to be careful of not being overly careful as we go forward, okay? Uh, okay, anything else? Anything else you're curious about? I think that's the end of my announcement type stuff. All right, here's the thing. You know, we're, we're, getting, uh, we're getting toward the days where we still have to jam two voters meetings in before the 1st of July, and there are things coming at us. Um, special Sundays and people are going to be gone. So I know that we don't have too many more weeks to talk about beauty, but I want to engage this um, from perhaps a different direction today, which is this. I wonder if you could uh, come to the point where when somebody says, what's your church like, you could say, my church is beautiful. It's really quite a simple question, actually. But I wonder if you could come to the point where you could say, my church is beautiful. And the second part of that would be, I wonder if you could mean more than physical beauty. I do, in fact, want you to be able to mean physical beauty. I can tell you, um, I rarely, I rarely am up in the middle of the night. But I've been up in the middle of the night once a week for the last two months thinking about the sanctuary next door. It rarely happens to me. But, um, you know, trying to get that right, trying to make sure that it's beautiful, try to listen to everybody about function and flow and emotion and how things work and what's the sound going to be like and where will we stand and what's the sight line and how will this look and how can we get the victory window prominent and blah, you know, all this stuff. It's very important. So, you know, one of the things, and, and things are coming you know, we were aiming at the 20th. We didn't quite make it. There's too many people still to listen to. You never want to go forward with a big thing like that without listening to everybody. Uh, you have to eventually make choices even from things that are maybe counter each other. But everybody needs to be listened to, and that continues to go on. 
you want to try to get it right. At the end of the day, what you want to be able to say about it is, this is a beautiful place. But by now, and this was the whole point of doing it this year, you should be able to say, it's a beautiful place because it speaks to the incarnation of Christ. The Old Testament word for beauty is the word for God being present physically in a place. It's where he's physically present, where he burns up a sacrifice on the altar. When they saw the fire burn up, then they knew everything was okay. When you hear the words of institution, the body of Christ, the blood of Christ shed for you for your forgiveness, that's when you know everything is okay, when Christ physically comes to the altar and then physically touches you. That's the beauty of the church. The greatest beauty is the incarnation. The greatest beauty is in the manger. The greatest beauty is on the cross. The greatest beauty is in the resurrection. And so what we're trying to do is create a space that is at once accessible. People will say, that's a beautiful space, and I'm drawn to it, I'm lured to it, I'm interested in it, I'm comfortable there, it's warm, it's intimate. The people here care, and we frankly give you opportunity to care. At once it is to be able to say that, but at the same time it is to be said, it, it, is, it, it, it must be said that this is just not a worldly space. It is in fact an otherworldly space, that when you come through the door, you cross a threshold from one world into another. That you move through the font into your new life. That you're drawn to the altar for a physical encounter with Christ. That you're next to each other in a way that is warm and intimate and inviting and communicative. And where, when you look around, you say, this is beautiful. And you mean not only the space, but you also mean the people around you. Beauty has its own ethos. Beauty makes people beautiful. And so last week we talked about how the cross, and then also how Christ on the cross, and then also how martyrs can be understood as beautiful. And then we push that all the way to people who have been disfigured, or who have been born... Uh, you know, with, with, with something that didn't quite work out right, can still be understood as to be beautiful on the cross. When I was young, I have this image. I didn't know much about this family, except I knew that... Um, I didn't know much about this family, except they were in the Lutheran school that I went to. And one day, uh, they adopted a young girl uh, who had been horribly burned in a fire. And, uh, you know, if you've worked with people or known somebody who's been burned, it's a, you know, it's a very difficult thing because there's, frankly, just no hiding it. And um, I always, I don't know much about that family. Uh, there was a boy older and a girl younger, and, you know, it's kind of the normal Lutheran school relationship you have with them. But I'm still struck by what it must have taken for that family to engage that young girl and act as if everything was all right. Life is good. See, that's a, that's, a beautiful, that's a beautiful thing. That's a beautiful rendition of life. 
So uh, the point of all this is, and we've been so focused on this, what we hope is that what, if people say to you, what's your church like? You say, my church is beautiful. You mean that not only physical, physically, and you know, we're doing the best we can with the money we've got and the space that we've been given. You know, it's not gonna be one of the great Lutheran churches downtown, but it should be different enough to be a teaching moment for you all. But beyond that, you know, the, one of the real concerns uh, was to find a way that you could be a community together and the beauty could be expressed that way. If you've got uh, a Bible, open it up. I was struck by uh, reading through the Psalms, um, and you should just in general, you know, you should be reading the Psalms anyway. You remember in the early church, the rule in the, in the monastery, I'm sorry, in, in the monastery, Luther's, uh, you know, what Luther was given into, the Bible once a year and the, and the Psalms once a month. So that leaves about five psalms each time. If you go to 101, um, which just happened to come up in my devotions this week, um, and I'm going to read to you from the New English, which is um, extraordinarily poetic and beautiful. And I thought to myself, um, you know, this is a description of a beautiful church. Okay, if you have Psalm 101 in front of you in any way. But just kind of, if you don't, just kind of listen to this. Don't, don't fight your translation necessarily. Um, in fact, maybe you just want to listen to this, but just, or, or maybe you can look at how yours works. But listen to this. I will sing of loyalty and justice. Okay, I know in our prayers this morning, we prayed for, we, you know, one of the things that was very helpful in the, um, in the home meetings, which I think everybody in the congregation has been invited to one, and many people have turned out for them. But one of the questions was, you know, could we remember uh, both churches around the world, our sister churches, and also people who are persecuted? And the answer is, yeah, we really should do that. That's a great... So one of the things we prayed for, for example, this morning is justice. And then the other thing, uh, you know, remember a few weeks ago, the last time I preached, I think, I spoke to you as betrayal is the original sin, which I'm firmly convinced about. Betrayal is the original sin. It is, it is pride in action. Okay, so this is, I was struck then by the fact that this psalm begs for loyalty and justice, where people are true to each other, their justice will be there. I will sing of loyalty and justice. I will raise a psalm to thee, O Lord. Now listen to this. I will follow a wise and blameless course, whatever may befall me. So in thick or in thin, I'm going to be in church. In thick or in thin, I'm going to give generously. In thick or in thin, I'm going to raise my family the right way. In thick or thin, I'm going to say my prayers no matter what happens to me, I'll follow a wise and blameless course. I will follow a wise and blameless course, whatever will befall me. In a way, the fact that attendance is down in churches all across America this spring is inexplicable. It is anti this psalm. You don't, and hear this in a gospel way if you would, you don't have a choice about coming to church on Sunday. You're going to die if you don't. Right? I mean, to have to say to people, come to church... The battle is, in some sense, lost. That's a big dose of law. They've forgotten what loyalty is. They've forgotten what justice is. They're closer to betrayal than truth. I'll follow a wise and blameless course, whatever may befall me. I will go about my house in purity of heart. There's not one house in this congregation that couldn't be improved by more pure-heartedness. I will set before myself no sordid aim. Love your enemies and do good to those who persecute you. So all my impulses will be pure. I will hate disloyalty. I'll hate betrayal. 
You know, the only things you can really hate are the things that Jesus hates, and you better be extraordinarily careful about them. But one of the things Jesus hates most is betrayal. And then, you know, the kindness that he nevertheless shows Judas. This remarkable stuff. You know, it's right there with the kindness showed to those people who are crucifying him. I will hate disloyalty. I will have none of it. Don't even approach me with it. As the New Testament says, flee temptation. Doesn't say look around, check it out, see if it's right for you, think about it. Maybe there's another agenda, an alternate paradigm for seeing the world. No, this is Psalm 1. You know, don't stop, don't stop, don't look, don't stop, don't sit down with the scoffers because that will be the end of you. That's Psalm 1. The very first Psalm says, don't stop. That's how people get trapped. Instead, keep going towards what's true. I will reject all crooked thoughts. The active stopping of what is negative. I will have no dealings with evil. Not even just a little bit. Not even the kind. I was just with, I just, who was I with somebody who said, was a kid who said to me, this bad thing feels so good. And I was like, man, you understand life. This bad thing feels really good. And I was like, yeah, it really does. So we should stop. Okay, so... You know, I will silence those who spread tales behind men's back. Okay, now just, 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 just keep going. I will not sit at table with proud, pompous men. You remember when Jesus did that? He always kind of brought them down to size. That's interesting, Pharisees and sinners, right? And, of course, you have to understand in the biblical way that Pharisees were the proud who thought they weren't sinners, and so were the real sinners, and sinners were the unproud who so were then in line for to be forgiven, like the dead who were in line to be resurrected. I won't sit at table with proud, pompous men. I will choose the most loyal for my companions. Watch out who you, who you hang around with, right? It doesn't mean you shun people, but it does mean you pay attention who your companions are. My servants shall be men whose lives are blameless. Everybody you surround yourself with are blameless folks. No scandal monger shall live in my household. No liar shall set him up when I can see him. Morning after morning, I'll put all wicked men to silence and will rid the Lord's city of all evil Lewis. Here's the thing. Imagine if, if you could describe your church as being that way. That is the church that people actually knock down the door to get into. One of the great shifts that we're going to have to make is from you thinking that we're the ones who bring people into church to you all bringing people into church. It's just sort of the next thing. You know, in, in over the years, you know, one of the things that's happened in Ghana, for example, actually Ghana is a great example of this. You just jam so much stuff into people that they just got to go do something good for somebody else. That's just the way the church should work. People are not going to come to church necessarily because of me. They may stay away because of me, but they're probably not going to come because of me. They're going to come because of you. Seven in ten people come to church because somebody like you brings them along, and then it's a beautiful, comfortable place to be. I, I drive by churches. I always think how difficult as I was. I had to drive for a, a graveside down Roosevelt Road, and I was kind of looking at churches that are being kind of springing up all over the place. And I thought to myself, even though, though even though these are beautiful buildings, it's very. It's got to be diff. If I was somebody driving down the street, I would not feel comfortable, despite the banner that says, you know. Uh, uh, you know, welcome. I wouldn't be comfortable just wandering in the door. Most people are not. Most people are just not that brave or desperate. But most people will come. If you can show people a place that's beautiful, where people are loyal, where people are kind, where people love, where people aren't going to talk about them, where there isn't any scandal, where people are true, 
you could not keep people out because that goes to the most basic, now I'm going to go all the way back to gaining, it goes to the most basic aspects of the mystical union that is provided to you in baptism and in the Holy Supper because somehow they will feel in you that you are a little Christ and that's the place that they're meant to be, that Jesus has given you gifts that satisfy what they hunger for. That's what the church is meant to be. And beauty is one of the easiest ways to get at people. It's why beauty is so important. It's why you don't build a pole barn for a church. Not because the Lord damns you for it. That doesn't even have anything to do with it. You do it because it is alluring, because it is inviting, because it evokes, because it touches people. You should do the best that you can do given what you've been given. That's what you're aiming at. You, you don't need to have the Vatican as a building, but you should do the best that you can do given what you've been given. And there's no excuse, there's no excuse, none at all, for us not to live beautifully in the way of this psalm. There's just no excuse for it. This is who we are. This is Christ present. When, the, when Jesus is physically present, he's here not only to forgive you, that's just the beginning but to send you off to live like he lives. And we've done this over and over again. You did it to these, you did it to me. It's why you can find beauty and give beauty even in the people who are the most wretched, even in people who hate you, which just takes a ton of strength and a ton of discipline, but it is nevertheless the Christian way. Um, I don't know, I was struck by the uh, prayer and the litany. Um, was this for Good Friday? Do we pray the litany on Good Friday? Listen to this. Let us pray for our enemies that God would remember them in mercy and graciously grant them such things as are needful for them and profitable for their salvation. So how do you pray for your enemies? You pray for them in mercy. You pray for them in grace. You pray that they get what they need, which is not what you think they need, and that they would come to salvation, that they would profit in their salvation. Almighty and everlasting God, through your only Son, our blessed Lord, you have commanded us to love our enemies, to do good to those who hate us, and to pray for those who persecute us. Love our enemies, do good to those who hate us, and pray for those who persecute us. We therefore earnestly implore you that by your gracious visitation, your presence, your beauty, visitation is physical presence, because you're here, all our enemies may be led to true repentance and may have the same love, community, and be of one accord, cooperation, and one mind, confession, and one heart, faith, with us and with your whole Christian church through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. That is brilliant. If this is what churches taught and believed, if this is what churches did, People couldn't stay away because this is what people need. They need to be loved. They need to be forgiven. They need to be together. And beauty does that in persons and in things. This is the ultimate embrace of being, if you will, a Lutheran or a Hebrew. It is the ultimate embrace of material things helping us along the way. You explained to me Explain to me why that window behind me has such power. Try to explain it. You can a little bit. It's actually, I like the windows almost better on cloudy days than I do on bright days. 
Cloudy days with less light, there's more nuance in those windows. If you look at them, the, the colors, there's more variation in each panel of color, as especially the blues are very, very different. If you come in through a, through a day, the course of a day, if you come in, just pop in a couple times. If you're lucky enough to have a, have a sunny day in the morning and a cloudy day in the afternoon, the, it's like all, all different. Why is that? How can you explain that? It's very difficult. Why has that captured your imagination? You, you need to see how all things physical can do that, including other people. Including other people. This is what you're aiming at. If you spin to Romans in your scriptures, I'm, uh, I really am on the outline. I just haven't. Uh, I'm just... <laughs> and if anyone would like to endow some new music stands for the new place, you just let, let me know. Um, look at Romans chapter 12. You know, in Romans is this great thing about justification, and then that's chapter 5, and you get that justification by baptism, and then it pushes all the way through into what the church should look like. I mean, just, just, just read this, you know. Romans uh, 12. Just start reading it. You could read the whole thing, but look at, look at verse 9. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good. What else is this but um, drawing out the elements of incarnational beauty, right? Love what is genuine, what is incarnational, what is Christological, what is, what is, what is shown to you on manger, cross, and altar. Love what is genuine, hate what is evil. So you're not even going to have that. The psalm says you won't even have that in your mouth. You won't think about it, you won't tolerate it. And more than that... If anybody in the community brings it up, you'll silence it. Twice in that psalm, at least, it says, I'm going to silence it. First, I'm going to gather people who live by beauty. And second, I'm going to silence it if anybody brings it up, because that's not part of us. That is ugly and doesn't belong here. Which is maybe the next thing for us to work on. You know, not in the way of sort of excommunication by voters, maybe, but, but kind of you saying to somebody else, that's not the way Christians talk. Or Jesus wouldn't act that way. Or Jesus certainly wouldn't talk that way. Love what is genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. You first. No, you first. No, you first. Right? Never flag in zeal. Never. Never not come to church. Be aglow with the Spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in your hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Never miss your psalms. Never miss your time for prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Generosity. Practice hospitality. Eucharistia. Right? So one of the reasons, uh, when, when we first talked about doing beauty as a, as a topic, and you know we only got a couple of weeks that we can kind of spend with this, it seemed a bit too abstract. And I was quite nervous about it until we actually looked at what the words that were used for beauty in Scripture were. And they were, in fact, the words, the same words that were used for the presence of Christ. And then um, I knew that you were safe. If you look on the back of this page that I gave you that was numbered 16 from last week, I actually did do everything on the front of this. This is Meyendorf, who was a famous American Orthodox theologian at St. Vladimir's up in uh, New York. May I submit at this point that it is the recovery of this sense of harmony and beauty that is needed more than anything today for the Christian message to be heard again by our contemporaries. How do you give a witness to people? Beauty. 
And this recovery is possible only on the basis of a renewed perception of the Logos, the word from John 1 where Jesus takes flesh, it's an incarnational word, as both creator and redeemer. We always give the Father credit for creation, but um, he was more the uh, general contractor. It was Jesus who was laying the bricks. Uh, remember John 1, 3, 4, nothing was created that wasn't, wasn't created through him. He is both creator and redeemer. Christians never commit a greater spiritual crime than when they accept the dualism of grace and nature, of sacred and secular, when they concede that there is an autonomous natural sphere that can possess its own beauty, different from the religious one, and its own harmony created by God, but somehow independent of Christ. Translation, Christians never create a greater spiritual crime when they say that there is a beauty separate from Christ. There is no beauty separate from Christ. Christ is beautiful, and that's all the beauty there is. And you shouldn't worry about that because it is inexhaustible beauty. It is time that we start affirming and proclaiming that God is the center of beauty and that nothing created can be legitimately secularized. It's beautiful because it all belongs to him. He created it all, and his beauty was diffused through it. His presence, his love, his mercy. As Dostoevsky once said of beauty, as Dostoevsky said, this beauty created by God will ultimately save the world. Beautiful things will ultimately save the world because beauty is most known in the incarnation of Christ. We all know, for example, how through the centuries the church has made use of matter, of stained glass, of candlesticks, of chancelware, of organs, of lights, of people, of music and of images in manifesting the presence of the kingdom of God in the liturgy. It's why we smell things and taste things and feel things and put oil on people and touch water and eat and drink. Those are all physical things that we do and we mean to make them beautiful. How through the rites of sanctification and blessing it has asserted its claim to universality, encompassing the entire cosmic reality. When you see a beautiful thing, you are connected to the entire cosmos. Go out tonight, if it's a clear sky, and look up. All of that belongs to you through Christ. Indeed, nothing of the old creation can be left outside of the new. Finally, um, <laughs> Gaining has been teaching apologetics over at River Forest. He will either um, be given tenure or he will be run out and they will cancel the check that he was supposed to receive. Because what they expected was a modernist perspective. Well, you could prove that Jesus was resurrected from the dead, A, because the claws were folded up, B, because there was no body, C, because women reported it, and D, because the early church built a shrine over the tomb. Now, that's one way, but nobody cares anymore because we live in an irrational postmodern world. Do you know why people come to church? Because you're beautiful. The new apologetic is, and the apologetic that matters to people in the world today, the new apologetic is people who live beautifully, where beautifully means the incarnation of Christ. That is why people come to church. You have teenage kids, 80% of them believe 
that Jesus is God and 60% of them believe that Jesus was a sinner and there is no way that logically you can jam those two things together for you who are of my age and are modernists those two things don't fit and you say that's stupid and if you tell them they're stupid they're never going to come but if you sort of pat them on the head and, and, and you say to them you know what we'll show you something about beauty we'll, we'll show you something about Jesus who is incarnate and we'll show you something about sin gradually if you can lure them in, uh, you'll catch them. Old ways don't work, and the problem is, is what's being pr proposed by us as the new ways are already 50 years out of date. They're still modernist ways. You have to think in a postmodern way. Not because we're postmoderns, but because everybody else is. You can resist it all you want, but there's nothing you can do about it. That's what the world is. It is an irrational place, but it is, in fact, given to beauty and mystery and love and that is why people will come to church. And at the end of the day, what you're meant to do is not only gather together, but gather other people in. And that's the point of all of this. Okay? All right, we got to go. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.